all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Please be seated. And that is the word of God. Good morning, Harvest Huntsville. It has been a while since I've been with y'all on a Sunday morning. It's great to see your faces. We're continuing in our sermon series, Encountering Jesus, where we look throughout the New Testament at different individuals who encountered Christ and were changed as a result. Last week, Pastor Kai spoke um, on on a a self-righteous man, a man who was good in his own eyes, and what an encounter with Christ looked like in that situation. Today's passage is the polar opposite. We're not examining somebody who encountered Christ that is self-righteous or important in the world's eyes. Today, we're looking at an encounter with Christ of an individual filled with shame and defeat. I am proud to say in front of all of you here this morning, my wife kills the spiders in my home. I don't like getting things that creep me out or make me feel dirty. In fact, I used to work in corporate aviation. If you're wondering what corporate aviation is, think private jets. And so often, the planes would come back and you would hear stories of what happened on the jets. In one case, an individual uh, had died and they needed to move their body quick to somewhere else in the world. So they load the body up on the plane. Now, view this as like the really rich version of Weekend at Bernie's. So they're transporting this body and there's individuals on the jet that cannot be close to death. So they figure out on this jet how to put as many barriers between them and the body as possible in hopes that they can stay clean. I am no different. I like to shy away and move back from things that I feel make me dirty. And what we're examining here in John chapter 4 is a completely different person named Jesus who does not shy away from things that culture goes, no, I lean back from. He doesn't move away from things like other people going, no, that's unclean, I'm staying away from that. What we're examining here is the son of God who leans in. And that says something about his character and that means something for you here today. Harvest, will you pray with me? God, even now, as we, as we begin to go through John chapter 4, verse by verse, Jesus, I don't have the words to describe you. I don't have the eloquence of tongue. I don't have the training. So what I'm asking for here today, as we go through John chapter 4, would we encounter you? Would we not just see mere words on a page? Would we not hear just a story? But Holy Spirit, today, in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our affections, Holy Spirit, would you move in a way that we would encounter you here today and we would be changed as a result? Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. And thank you that you are a type of savior who leans in, not out. And it's in the name and the blood of Christ I pray. 
Amen. Well, listen, we're going to be going through this passage in John chapter 4, verse by verse. So look at verses 1 through 6 with me. Who cares what Matt thinks? Who cares what Matt says? Let's look to the word. Verses 1 through 6 in John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was baptizing and making more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Let's pause in verse six. So here we see, it says that Jesus, he, he had to pass through Samaria. I want you to know the Greek is a little bit more beautiful than the English right there. It was necessary is how it translates. It was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria. Now, Samaria, by the way, it's a town you avoid. Culturally at this time, if you were Jewish, you went around Samaria, not through it. Samaria was viewed as dirty, and the people there were viewed as dirty. Why? They were a racially mixed group of individuals that were Jews and Gentiles. And so at this point, if you were a self-righteous individual, if you were worried about being clean, you don't go through Samaria, but it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria. And so here we see in verse six, by the way, a really unique attribute of Jesus. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied from his journey. What a beautiful window into the humanity of Jesus. He was weary. Whenever I become weary, I like to pull back and nap. Jesus, here, weary, is still going on mission. And so the time of day, by the way, it's the sixth hour. Really easy to bypass that verse and not understand what it's actually saying when it's saying the sixth hour. When it's saying the sixth hour, it means high noon. You don't go to the well at high noon. It's too hot and you stay indoors. And so Jesus is going to a place you don't go to at a time in which you don't go then to meet this woman. It's an unusual interaction at an unusual time in an unusual place, and somebody's life is about to change. Look at verses 7 through 9 with me. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Who initiates the conversation? Jesus is initiating the conversation with this woman, not the other way around. It was necessary for him to go through this town, and he is seeking this woman out. And do you hear the woman's language? Can you hear her shame right out of the gate? She's got two strikes against her in her own language. Why are you talking to me, a woman of Samaria? 
Verses 10 through 11 continue. Watch how Jesus continues to pursue. Watch how he continues to go after her heart. Verses 10 through 11. So Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have gone um, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? It's interesting how in verse 11, by the way, Jesus has nothing to draw water with. Either Jesus is a poor planner or he's not there for a drink. I'm the kind of guy that doesn't get a lot of invites to go camping, right? Because I get there, I'm like, oh, we need toilet paper. Oh, food. Oh, and I just constantly forget stuff. Jesus is not like me when I go camping. He's intentional. So the fact that he doesn't have something to draw water with means he's not there for a drink. He's there for a soul. And so Jesus, he's starting to show her how, who he really is. Do you see his language in those verses? If you knew God's gift, if you knew who it was saying it to you right now, and Jesus is using a biological thirst at a well to draw to her greater imagery. See, John is using this living water as an analogy for something deeper. Throughout the book of John, by the way, commentators, Jesus is constantly unpacking spiritual truths through physical analogies. The book of John uses birth, bread, the body of Jesus, it uses themes of light, and here it's using living water, a type of physical water that is an allusion to something even greater. Now, verses 12 through 15 continue. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. So again, Jesus is pushing in to a need in her heart a type of satisfaction that can only be found in one thing, and it's not in a biological need. Nothing of this world can satisfy and sustain, like the water at the well. But only who Jesus is, what he offers, can satisfy a longing in our soul today that only him can fill. Look at culture. You don't have to spend long on social media to both see the striving for significance and the hollowness of this world. They're seeking after what Christ offers. They just don't know it, like this woman at the well. And watch how the language of this woman at the well, you see it's transforming verse by verse here, right? Like in verse 11, where do you get that living water? Now in verse 15, sir, give me that water. Do you start to see she's like, She's being wooed to Jesus bit by bit by bit. Now, verses 16 through 18 continue. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, 
I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that you have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus is giving a window into this woman's life and the degree of brokenness that's there. And I love how Jesus, like a skilled surgeon, is beginning to push in with grace and with truth. And the woman tries to deflect. Did you see that language in her? Sir, I, I, have, I have no husband. She gave a deflection to Christ. But Jesus even takes that deflection and he pushes in with a type of knowledge that reveals to her, I'm not talking to somebody normal here. Do you see that? You see the language of her start to shift. And so Jesus is bringing up her life situation. All of the things that are leading to her shame and her guilt. She's at the well midday. Why is she at the well midday? She's trying to avoid community. She's trying to avoid people. And so here now, Jesus is starting pushing in on these areas that make her drive away. The things that make her feel like an outcast. The things that make her feel rejected. Now, Jesus is not pushing in to increase shame or to increase guilt. He's pushing in because he's speaking to her soul in a way that she's going, ah, I'm not sitting at a well with a normal person here. Why? As human beings, we long to be known, don't we? Some of our greatest driving forces as human beings is acceptance. And you know what? I think that's from the Lord. It's wired in us for us to go to him in relationship. And Jesus is going, woman, I see all of you. I don't just see 90%. I don't see the things I like and I turn a blind eye to. Jesus is going, woman, I see all of you and I'm leaning in. Why? Because culture saw all of her and they leaned out. And here in this verse, you're seeing Jesus move towards what culture and community often pull away from. So one of our greatest needs is to be known. It's also one of our greatest fears. Will you accept me or will you reject me? Will you be there for me or will you not be there for me? And so, so often, we as Christians, we wear masks. What's the Mac King you want? What's the Mac King you like? And I will do my best to be that Mac King. But the problem is, then I rob myself of intimacy in any relationship. Because I'm not being the Mac that the Lord has made. I'm being the Mac that I think you like. So a lot of us, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our work life, we like to be 80% known but I like to intentionally withhold a 20. And Jesus here is pushing in perfectly. I see all of you. And I lean in. And I lean in. Look at verses 19 through 24 with me, deal? So the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
uh, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here the woman's language is shifting. Did you see that? Right in verse 19? Sir, I see that you're a prophet. She still doesn't fully know who she's talking to yet. She's still lowballing who Jesus is to Jesus. And so Jesus goes, I, that's true. You, you don't currently have a husband. You've had five, and the one you have now, you know, is not your husband. And so instantly she goes, whoa, talking to somebody different. I see that you're a prophet. And so she shares with Jesus some, some religious familiarity revolving around worship, right? But here, Jesus is unpacking how everything is about to flip. I love John chapter 4 because Jesus is alluding to, I'm about to change everything. There was once a temple you had to go to, but you're going to become a living temple. You once had to travel to worship, but you can now worship where you're at because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God used to dwell in a reserved place in the temple, and Jesus is going, and I am going to put my spirit in you. Jesus is unpacking the world's greatest spiritual flip, and who is he saying it to? A shame-driven, culturally ignored, religiously snubbed, politically insignificant person. Wow. He is so different than us. He has eyes for those that man does not have eyes for. And he's unpacking some of the most profound spiritual changes and truth. And he's saying it to somebody that culture would go, why are you wasting your breath on her? Why? Jesus sees people differently than how man sees people. And in these verses we read, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. How do we know Jesus' words are true? Because Jesus is seeking this woman. This woman has not sought after Jesus. And so Jesus takes this necessary path from the Father to the Son through Samaria. And here, in a conversation that should never have taken place culturally, Jesus, with no water pail, at a well, strikes a culturally inappropriate conversation, has a religiously offensive interaction with this wonderful woman, why Jesus has sought after her. Now verses 25 through 26 continue. So the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Here's the climax of their conversation. The woman at the well, verse 10, where does one get this water? Verse 15, I want this water. Verse 25, there's a coming Savior. And then Jesus at the well in verse 10, if you knew who was saying it to you, 
In verse 26, I am he. I am it. I love how gentle and patient Jesus is with her. All she does is continually not get it. And then Jesus just so graciously keeps interacting with her. Listen, I've got three kids under the age of 10. They have one chance to listen, and then I threaten chocolate milk never being made again. <laughs> Jesus is far more patient than I am. She continues to goes, yeah, there's a coming Savior. Oh, yeah, you're a prophet. She's talking about the Christ to Jesus, not knowing that it's Jesus. And here he finally goes, I am he. This woman pursued a well at midday to avoid community, but she found intimacy. Shame drove this woman to be an outcast, but she found family. And this passage, it unlocks something unique about the heart of Jesus. Think about that for a second. What is this passage saying about who Jesus is? What is this passage saying about how he sees humanity? He's a loving, gentle, patient shepherd who pursues you. Now, verses 28 through 30 continues. So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and they were coming to him. Now, let's pair this with verses 39 and 42. Deal? <clears throat> Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. Pause. Where is Jesus staying? Samaria. Where do religiously self-righteous people not stay? Samaria. How long is he staying there for? Two days. Why? He goes into places most people will not go into, and he sits and he converses and he humanizes people that a lot of culture does not want to humanize. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Look at how this woman has transformed not because she tried harder, not because she had better religious morality. It's because she met someone who was clean and he moved in. It's because she encountered somebody unlike anybody else from her town. If you're here today, I don't care about your religious performance. I don't care about your morality. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? I'm not asking, can you pass a theological exam? It's useless. Do you know the gentle shepherd of Jesus Christ? And if you don't, there's nothing you have to add to you for him to draw close. This woman who avoided community at midday She's now going back to that same community. 
And Jesus has delivered her from shame. All the things she tried to hide. She's now going back to that same community. He's told me all I ever did. And the community's like, what? No, you're different. We know who you were before. What is going on now? And now this town is getting lit up for Jesus. Because one person who was viewed as dirty encountered a savior that made her a type of clean that was so beautiful and she didn't have to earn any religious merit. She didn't have to perform and she didn't have to do. She just had to rest in front of Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Are you going into your town? Because if you've met Jesus and all it's ever produced in you was a type of quiet religion I wonder, have you met Jesus? I treated myself the other day. We went to the keg, me and my wife, with a couple of friends. You bite into that steak. What's one of the first things you do? Becky, you got to try this. It's the same with Christ. Do you know this Savior? Look what he's done in my life. Look what he's freed me from. He's freed me from chemical addiction. He's freed me from these broken relationships. He's freed me from this broken narrative I had over myself. And he's given me a new type of life. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do your neighbors like to avoid answering their door because that you, the Christian, is coming by? I think the greatest definition of a Christian is this. It's someone who has thirsted and tasted Jesus, inviting other people to glean from a type of water that they'll never thirst from again. What's driving you as a human being? Is it security? Is it comfort? Is it acceptance? Is it significance? These internal drivers are designed and wired into us for us to get it from Christ, which is why you're so miserable when you spend no time with Christ and you spend time with everything else. I hate my screen time updates once a week. They're super depressing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have more time for devotions. I spend four hours a day on this sucker, right? So why do we have hope? Are you here today? Do you feel insignificant? Do you feel overlooked? Do you just have a ton of brokenness because of what's been done to you? Do you have a ton of brokenness because of what you've done? An author by the name of Date Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, shares this. Culturally at this time, the Jewish system is when an unclean person comes into contact with a clean person, the clean person becomes unclean. Moral dirtiness is contagious. But Jesus is reversing this system. When Jesus the clean one, touches an unclean sinner, Christ does not become unclean. The sinner becomes clean. If compassion clothed itself in a human body and walked around on this earth, what would it look like? You don't have to wonder. Are you here today? Defeated, discouraged, shame-filled, dirty, destroyed? You ever just feel broken? Then be comforted. As Ortland shares, Jesus Christ is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. Through his spirit, Jesus Christ envelopes his heart with his people, 
with an embrace nearer and tighter than any physical embrace could ever achieve. His actions on earth in a body reflected his heart. The same heart now acts in the same way towards us, for we are now his body. Do you notice in this passage, when the woman got up, what did she leave? Do you see it? It's in the text. She left her jar of water. The woman went to the well for one reason, but she experienced something different. And what drove her to the well, she, she experienced something different. And so she left her jar because she has experienced a different type of water. As the worship team comes up, are you here today in need of grace? Are you here today feeling low? Are you here today feeling dirty and unworthy? Are you here today and you feel like you just abused grace again? Are you here today feeling like you just won't ever get victory in this one area? If you feel that way, then you might just find yourself in the type of company with me. And in that moment, we can sing the words of this hymn together. And I can't sing, so I'm just going to long talk, okay? Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Church, I dare you, take that struggle, that feeling of defeat, that dirtiness, that shame, and lay it before the feet of Jesus today and watch what he does. If you do not know Christ, today is the day for you to know him. If you know Christ, this is the day for you to go before that throne again, according to Hebrews, to find grace and mercy in our time of need. Let me pray. So God... Thank you that you have sought us. Thank you that Jesus left the comforts and glories of heaven to die for my dirtiness so that he could call me righteous because of his blood. And Lord, I pray here today, Holy Spirit, even now, would your spirit be seeking someone in this room and would they know you as a savior today? And it's not because of anything they've done or have tried or have achieved. It's because a savior met them. And God, for those who are here today who know you but are just stuck and defeated and in shame, would you lean in and do something in us that would be so good, so powerful, so transformative, we would have to go into our towns, into the community and with our family and go, have you heard of this Jesus? And it's in his name I pray.
Amen.